Okay, yeah, let's go ahead and drop the puck on this one. This week's epic... Ah, ah, see, you thought we were starting too early. That's a two-minute penalty, you know. This week's episode is brought to you by Blake Cummel's face-off violation penalty. Sackick fakes it, takes it, scores! Joe Sackick! What a brilliant goal by Nathan McKay! And after 22 years, Raymond Good morning, good afternoon, Oregon evening. I'm Steph, and you walked into the Burgundy Radio the Burgundy Radio for December 5th, 2017. Going to be a shorter show this week because I'm trying to get over a cold, but we still have a rough homestand to cover, plus a new Avalanche call-up and what might be the worst promotional giveaway of all time. But before we play the whoosh, your disembodied voices for this week are Earl 06. Hey, Earl. Good afternoon. And Queen JK Jackie Tiger Vixen, how are you? Hello. And the voice of Vlad himself. What's going on, Vlad? I am totally rinsed. (laughs) (laughs) So apologies to John Oliver, but just time for a quick recap of the week. On Wednesday, Avs win 3-2 over the Winnipeg Jets in overtime. Then on Friday, the Avs lose 2-1 to the New Jersey Devils in a game I do not remember whatsoever. The box score tells me it only had 44 total shots on goal, so maybe that's why. Uh, Then on Sunday, Avs lose deceptively 7-2 to the Dallas Stars. Again, we were right in our analysis, and Gabe Landeskog got a, quote, technically we gotta suspension. Uh, hang on. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, but... But that doesn't make... uh, Okay, fine. He got four games. And the Avs have missed him on this homestand, which they needed to do well on if they wanted to stay in the playoff race this year. Uh, We can debate whether that would be helpful or not. But as it is now, they're four points out of the wild card, nine points back of the pace for third in the central. What's going on out there, everyone? Well, I I think a lot of it started even before Gabe got suspended. Um unlike Patrick Kane, who did the same thing and got zero games. But that's another story. Uh, <clears throat> they've kind of tailed off in their 5v5 scoring, and they've they've done a lot better as far as getting their shot share and Corsi for percentage and whatnot. But uh, going kind of low event has kind of stifled the offense a little bit, and it, it's troubling. Just in my firsthand uh, viewing of the homestand thus far, I've seen a lot of uninspired play from this team. And I don't know if that just comes from the suspension of Landeskog and the air just got let out of the room without their, uh, their captain to lead the charge as it were, but there's just been some very uncharacter, uncharacteristic uh, practices that we've seen from this team thus far. I mean, of course every squad's going to have the boneheaded play. I mean, Bar- uh, Mark Barbario had some, gonzos of those here in the last couple of couple of games but that's that's just a from what i've what i've what i've seen so far is it's just mental lapses i don't know if it's just the fact that they're five teams into into this homestand and just took their foot off the gas or if this is something that's a little deeper than that i i got nothing i'm just putting the questions out there throwing something against the wall maybe i need to find a blender who knows? Well, the teams, or Bednar specifically, has mentioned the starts haven't been good. They haven't had a lead. I don't think they've had a lead the entire homestand. So that's the concern there. And I agree that the goal scoring drought is a bit of a concern. Um, I don't think they've done that well in the power play. I know. They won the Winnipeg game on the power play. They've had some power play goals, and they've moved the puck around decently, but I think a lot of it kind of does stem from that. And I don't know if you want me to get into my rant about not having Gerard on the power play. I just think they're shooting themselves in the foot by doing that, and Barry hasn't played well. I think EJ, while he's played well overall, I think he's doing a little bit too much individual play I don't it almost seems like when he gets confidence he thinks he can do everything himself and then it backfires um as Earl mentioned about the possession uh percentages looking better I mean 
ever since they returned from Sweden, they haven't had a game under, I think, 44.5% was, like, the worst game they've had. And um, I think they only gave up, had one game where they gave up 50 Corsi against, and most games have been well under that. So it depends if you want to look on the positive side of making gains in that department or not. But so it is kind of like a one step forward, one step back, because I agree the the goal output and the offense generation just uh, hasn't been acceptable for, for quite a little while here. So yeah, for me, did give up 50 total shots once. Um I think it, I think this is five v five. I actually. Or you mean that. of Corsi again? You mean Corsi against, right? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, this is five v five. Yeah, they gave up fifty in the loss to Calgary, and apart from that, I mean, ap- after they got home from Sweden, it's been 35, 29, 26, 39, 32, 50, 45, 28, 32. So, I mean, they're they're not. It's not like they're allowing just a tremendous amount of shots. I, th- I think a lot of their uh, difficulty at evens is uh, just that they have not been taking the most, like, th- they haven't had extremely dangerous chances. Like, their shots are from far and wide, and they're not doing enough to, to keep things dangerous. And they've gotten a little bit un- unlucky, too. Like, the, the times they have gotten dangerous chances, we've seen a lot of posts lately. Yeah, I, I I did some work on some numbers, and since the Washington game, before the Washington game, they were shooting twelve percent on the season, and I, I haven't added in the last couple of games, but um, they went down to about eight percent as far as um, <clears throat> their shooting percentage, and you know I di- I didn't look at at kind of scoring chances or high danger scoring chances, which I probably should have, but sorry. Um, you know, they're. It, it, I, I think you're right. I think they're just not uh, getting chances from where they need to be getting them to score a lot. Um, my take on this is, I, I wonder. It's it's kind of a chicken egg thing. Is it better to score a lot of goals and sort of get that experience, and then try to improve the defensive structure and and improve your shot metrics? from there or is it better to focus on the shot metrics and then try and figure out a way to score within that structure and i'm not i'm not sure which is better i i I just sort of see what happened last year when they they started going low event they also stopped scoring and it kind of never started again i mean i i'd say i want to see goals that's kind of been my pound the table thing this year is I want to see them score and keep scoring but we've also heard for so long you know the lol avalanche and their horrible possession and they just can never do anything to to make improvements in that area so I just can't say right now that that part's not important just because it's been so bad for so long if they are actually making improvements in that area, if you do believe in analytics and what they say, then the results will eventually come. And maybe in a more sustainable way. I'm just, I, I, I'm not sure they will. Um, you know, it just seems like every time they try and go low event and, and you know, really try to up their possession game, that the, the, the sacrificial lamb in that case has almost always been their goal scoring. And I see them allowing more creativity this year. I don't feel like it's as dump and chase as, as I think Bender kind of relented on that a bit. So they, they definitely, they carry it in. They, I mean, I'm fine with their zone entries. I just think everything below the dots is just seems like, you know whether they're keeping the third forward a little too high, and so they're you know they're not able to get more than two guys involved with the play down low or or stuff like that. I, I'm I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's it's you know they're they're not getting the the high danger and high quality chances that they were earlier in the year, and uh, you know it's just it's a it's a little it's a little perplexing that 
it seems like it's it's got to be one or the other with this team. Either they're going to be defensively sound and have decent possession metrics, or they can be sort of wide open and, and score more. I think you may be onto something with with whether they may be keeping a forward higher than than they were because if you remember when the season started, we spent a lot of air and a lot of inches on boy, this team has given up a lot of breakaways. Boy, they yeah. need to figure that out. And when's the, apart from a defenseman making a lull shot, I mean, when's the last time there was an inexplicable breakaway? Matt Nieto last night? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that one that, was no. not inexplicable. It's very easy to explain <laughs> that one. But yeah. no, I, I hear what you're saying. No, I agree. It's it doesn't seem as fire wagon like it was earlier. Yeah, and if they have to play fire wagon to get those good chances and to shoot twelve percent, then you know you really have no choice but to try to go low event. But I, I guess what I'm looking for is, is some way to you know get get control of the game, you know, play their low event style, and then gradually, let's say over the next month or two, sort of get that up to you know, normal event, not high, not low, and be able to, you know, get an offensive streak that's sustainable as far as getting more than two and three-eighths goals per game. I still feel like they're overpassing, too, and I I don't know what that is. Maybe every team does it to an extent, but it's just, it is mind-boggling sometimes how they they feel like they need, like, three great passes before somebody takes a shot. I know. It's, it's like Kerf looks like he'd, he'd just rather do anything than shoot the puck sometimes. He'll tell you that to your face. I mean, he'll, yeah. he'll say as much. I know, but he's got a good shot. You know, he should... I, I don't know. I, I, it shouldn't be a confidence thing. I mean, I... <clears throat> you know, Patrick's... One of Patrick's huge, huge criticisms of this team, and I realize the personnel is wildly different than when he was here, but... And one of his criticisms of the team was that everyone was looking for the pretty pass and they were overpassing. And, you know, it, it's, this has been a, <clears throat> an annual chronic issue. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know how you sort of get that out of the culture. You know, I don't want to look like the Hurricanes or, or a team like that that just says YOLO and shoots from everywhere and doesn't score ever. But, you know, there's got to be a little bit more of a, a shoot first mentality i would yeah, point my they... finger directly at miko ran and for someone who's giving up weight or not uh someone who's getting shot chances and letting them go that's the words i want yeah well there's some one and done in the offensive zone like they're not having problems getting in it but they're having problems staying in it and we the whole cycle thing isn't really kind of part of a modern offense but they can't be so one and done yeah we, I, and another thing like when you shoot from you know sort of dangerous areas you, you tend to get more shots you know you tend to get rebounds that way it's like when you shoot <clears throat> um, from high in the middle of the zone right in the on the center line you know that's like the easiest way I mean the teams want you to do that because they can just have it bounce off of them and clear it immediately. Or they, you know, if they force you out beyond the circles, you, you should take a, a wide angle shot and it, it basically self clears. You know, they need, they need to find ways to start shooting, um, you know, from where we want to see them shoot from. That's pretty easy for us to say. And... I know it's, it's not like it's easy. <laughs> no, and and it's not like we're sitting here with a whole bunch of easy answers ready to throw at you, and, unless you guys have some. Um, yeah. But I I don't think I really do. Um, but it's not. I mean, uh, the, the scoring drying up on the the power play as well is is still going to continue to be an issue as long as you have some of the personnel type issues that we're continuing to see, like Jackie's where is Sam Gerard question, like Earl's what's Miko Rantanen doing down there question. Yeah. It, it just, to me, it seems like the power play's too stale. I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with 
how they're setting up and, and Bennett does seem to have introduced some sort of plays for them to run and and I don't mind who's on the power play in general. I just think they need to shuffle it a bit more. It gets stale. The same players pass to the same players in the same manner every single power play. And I think I think they need to shuffle it more. I think, you know, you have your 10 guys or whatever you want to use, but use them in different ways. Yeah, I think it, I mean, I like Tyson Berry on the power play. I just, <clears throat> he's playing way too much. I mean, I, I forget which game it was. I was looking at the power play stats and, and Barry played over six minutes on the power play. Gerard was about 140 and EJ was about one. Um, <clears throat> and it's like, you know, it, you can do that for a game and it works, but I, I, I think you're really, you're really not taking advantage of everything Sam Gerard can, can do for the team. If, if you're not playing him on the power play sometimes a lot, I, I don't think he needs to be top man on the power play all the time. I, I think at his age and experience level, if you're going to cut down on minutes somewhere, you might think power play is probably the easiest place to do that. <clears throat> but I just think, you know, when, when, you know, when you do see it getting stale a little bit, um, throw him out there and just sort of see if that juices people up. Or throw him out there with Barry or, or um, yeah, just try different things. And I don't think EJ needs to be on the power play at all, really. Maybe some sort of like third unit sometimes when they either, because, you know, sometimes they get into sort of a third unit look, maybe put EJ out there, but it's just, yeah, it doesn't make sense. I don't like, I very quarterbacking the power play isn't my favorite thing to watch. Like I don't mind he's on it, but I think he should not be quarterbacking it. Like try him maybe on the wall, do something different with him, but him shooting from the blue line just it doesn't his shot will get through once every like a hundred attempts. But other than that, it's it's not doing much. It it doesn't get far enough to create a rebound. It just, I think that's kind of where the problems begin is with Barry, actually. But but I wouldn't completely remove him from the power play. He obviously has offensive gifts. He can skate well. He moves well on the blue line. But I just don't think he's the beginning and the end of the power play. I think if you, if you use Barry so much, he becomes easy to defend because... You know, if you're, you know, let's say you're, you're Dallas last night and you've been watching the last three games to look at tendencies and whatnot, you're looking at Barrier and you're like, okay, this dude's out there for, you know, basically three quarters or more of the power play time. And these are his tendencies. You know, we can, we can prepare for him. And basically that's our, our penalty kill preparation for the day. I mean, I think if people are expecting Barry and you put Gerard out there or even put EJ out there, that's something different for them to think about. And it, it just, it, it's, I don't know. It's just more deceptive, I think. Yeah, definitely. It seems like they should shuffle it way more often. Yeah. Well, Earl, I think you bring up a good point about Dallas specifically, since that is the team that the, uh, the Avs have faced the most thus far. So it just stands to reason that Dallas really has already had plenty of opportunities to scout Tyson Berry or Mikko Rantanen or whomever and essentially just not dismantle, but let's, let's face it, Ken Hitchcock is a really good coach and he can look at stuff like that. So being and Ray Bennett was his assistant coach last year. <laughs> Right, and in a vacuum, those things would cancel each other out. But we also have on the other side, we also have Tyler Sagan. We also have Alex Radulov. We also have Jason Spezza. We have these experienced dudes that have been around for a while. They know the game. So yeah. not to go pull out Dallas, you know, completely just destroy the avalanche, even though the scoreboard would certainly indicate as such. But looking at, looking at it, just looking at that one example, I mean, yeah, they, they've already gathered the most textbook data on the avalanche at this point versus let's say a Winnipeg where the Avs were able just to essentially just get that game almost escape with the win 
but. Well, that gets back to the point that we've kind of made about lack of adjustments, especially when something isn't working. And, and I know that they can't just go around and change everything. And, and they've had, they try to keep things together for chemistry and consistency and things like that. But it does seem kind of like the abs are a plan a kind of team. And it's just like, well, if plan a doesn't work, then you just need to execute it better. You should have tried plan a harder. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no plan B plan C, etc. Plan B is plan a just better. Here's plan A. Here's plan A with an exclamation point. Here's plan A with an underline and an exclamation point. Here's plan A in an italics. Here's plan A with uh, quotation marks around it. Here's plan A in Comic Sans. Yeah, <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> yeah. but <clears throat> power play aside, it's you know it it's been not that great, but it it, it has been producing a little bit. Um. Whereas 5v5, they're just dead in the water lately. And it's really bad. In their, in their last eight games, they've basically scored seven goals that I would say are not score-effective 5v5. Um, and, you know, that's just, that's just not enough of a foundation to build on to win a game. You know, that, that turns your game into praying the power play scores just so you can get even. And um, I just, I think that's a trap you can't fall into if, as a coach. I think you gotta, <clears throat> you gotta get at least two 5v5 goals every game to stay in it. And they're just, they're just not getting close to that anymore. And it, it's, it's tough. You know, I mean, Miko, Miko has one even strength goal all year. Uh, McKinnon has a, hasn't had an even strength goal in the last eight games. His his only two goals have been in overtime, which is weird but effective. Um, and that's that, that kind of that's a way that's kind of a reason why it, kind of what we're getting to is that overtime gives them a different look, like the overtime. The four on three was different than the power, than a power play, you know, like yeah. the three on three is a different look for them. It's, it's like, it gives them a fresh way to approach it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I just, I, I, I don't know what, I don't know how they fix that. I mean, I, I, I think they really have to come at it a fresh way. And maybe having a practice where they, you know, they do just a 3v3 practice or something like that. So then <clears throat> is it maybe time to sw switch up the lines a little bit more? And now I know that doing that is kind of like a coach's just kind of last, last ditch idea. And, and we, and if they do it too much, we hate it. So I totally know that. But is it time to maybe break up how they're approaching the lines. Well, I, th I think when Landy comes back, if it still persists, then you, then you start thinking about it. You know, I, I'd really like to give Landy back on the first line and then the frat line a chance um, because the, the frat line really hasn't had a chance with all three of those guys on it for more than a game. I almost I, I, kind I of like Landy on that line, though. Like you I mean, know, I would too. <laughs> you, you, you know you have that Landeskog McKinnon Ranton line you, in your back pocket. You know that they could throw that out there in a third period of a game. And they need a goal. I don't know if they necessarily need to start with that every night. Like putting Landy on the frat line might give that line a little bit more, you know, something to kind of grab onto, kind of some traction. And Comfer looks good with McKinnon and Rantanen. So I, th I think a little change like that could work, but maybe even a more radical change if that doesn't really help, like as in breaking up McKinnon and Rantanen. If you take the frat line, and by the frat line I mean Jost, Kerfoot, and Comfer, if you get them working as sort of a, a really uh, competent second line, 
Um, the kind of line you use a little bit more offensively than defensively, but you, you can use them in all situations. Um, if you're able to get that line producing and not a defensive liability, you know, that gives you three lines that really work well. And, and, and a dominant top line at that. Oh, sure. Ideally, I'd love to see that, too. I just, I don't know how long it would take to get, for it to get there where the frat line really can hold its own as a, as a true second line. And just to, you know, continue that thought, is the frat line ready for second line responsibility at this point when they've only had essentially one game? My question to that would be, uh, to my, my, my continual question, my follow-up on that would be, would it be best for them to start at, as a third line and have, at least in the interim, have Carl's line move up to the second line? That's kind of how it is anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, that's, I mean, if you're talking by time on ice, they'd probably be the third line. And and Comfort would get extra shifts, and and Kerfoot would probably get some extra shifts as well, but maybe not as many. Um, but but as far as roles, you know, you'd want that to be a scoring line that you don't necessarily put out in tough defensive situations. And for three rookies, I don't really see that line as a liability. I mean, I know they're not defensive rocks, but the thought of putting three rookies together isn't as scary as maybe one would think. Yeah. Confer's a good player defensively, and Jost isn't that bad. And it's not like Kerfoot's been out of place on a top six role this season. So, I mean, this we, we, we look at this season as not being one where we expect or really need the team to be competing, so why not let them, you know, go out there and screw up a little bit like what's what's it gonna hurt other than some some fans feelings in the middle of the game yeah if you give them five six seven games together to get some chemistry and just sort of see what they can do in a variety of situations you might end up with something pretty special out of it i really liked them especially in the winnipeg game they yeah they had some different energy like it was really i think i called it electric it was just when they were feeding off of each other, it was it was like a different energy than we've seen from the Avs in a long time. Well, yeah, that's the, a good point. It's a great changeup. It was the one game they got together too, so that <laughs> thing that says something that you noticed them in that game. Because after that, we've had to let Comper fill in with the top and and share people around. Um, but we do need to kind of keep our foot on the gas here. And, and get into our stars and scratches for the week. Um, I think we should start with a mention that Nathan McKinnon was the league's uh, first star of the month for November. So claps there. Um, yeah, that's, well done, that's, pretty big, that's pretty big to just score the most points in yeah. the, the high. I think he tied with McDavid, but he played less games. So he had the highest points per game in the, in the league. And that's, that's something, that's for sure. We all remember yeah. the kind of slow start he got off to, and he now has 29 points in 25 games, in, which is actually 30 points because he did score twice against the Winnipeg Jets in overtime. That is correct. So um, that was a, quite an overtime. I mean, I guess we can, <laughs> can consider him kind of, a, kind of an auto star for that award. It's kind of a, kind of a default pick. What other picks do we have? It's so hard to remember back to the Winnipeg game, which was the best game. I'd I'd like to nominate Nikita Zadorov because yes. you know a couple of weeks ago we were talking about whether he was going to make it, <laughs> and he's really stepped up and and what the benchings and whatever they did with him off ice or in practices um, seems to have worked quite well. Um, you know, you still get the occasional oops and you're going to get that with a guy his age. Um, but he's become quite solid and, you know, his, his possession numbers are fantastic. So, um, you know, it's, it's really, yeah, two goals. 
in two games. You know, um, I, I really like what I've seen out of him for the last week or so, and and it's it's just great to see. I think an alternate title for this episode might be how Nikita got his groove back. <laughs> Who else we have for plus side for the star side? If if nobody has anything, I have another to nominate. I think I'll just jump in. Then it's uh, I'm going to throw one to Blake Como, who has been having you know a, a one hell of a ba- bounce back season overall after last year, um, and has been just kind of consistently solid from his uh, from his spot in the depth and and killing penalties and just just playing well and hopefully getting himself in a position where the Avalanche can get a higher round pick for him than third. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was two, he was really good last, last night. Week. Yeah, and trying to fill that void for Landeskog, he's been wearing a letter. Yes, and he he definitely tried to start um, more physical play last night, which kind of Landy goes out and sets the tone. And I really noticed that he went out and tried to do that. We also saw him kind of take on the okay, I'll go talk to the official role since we there rolling three A's. And Como being the most veteran among them, just kind of when uh, who was it? Someone got a like a real hell of a phantom call behind the net. I think I don't remember which game it was in, but it was at the very end of a period. And I remember Como stopping to talk to the, to the official on the way off the ice at the end of the, at the period break while they were still on the kill. Just kind of like, what are you doing? That's not a penalty. <laughs> that made sort of like that bad. face-off call. <laughs> That may have been in the Jersey game when Barbario got that that phantom call that he had to serve. I that think may have been it. I think that's right. Where where the Winnipeg player like had the puck and kind of chipped it away from himself, sort of, and Barbario was fighting with him, and they both kind of tumbled down, and for some reason that was quote unquote interference. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Whatever. We'll throw an honorable scratch mention at the refs. Um, who else do we want to scratch this this week? I'm gonna have to go with the staff or Jared Bednar for putting John Bernier in last night's game. Uh, you're not gonna go with Bernier himself, eh? I I don't think he should have been in there. Um, it wasn't a great performance by him. Let's we'll call it a tandem with Bernier and. Bednar and perhaps Parkila, if he had a hand in that as well. Um, I get that, that Bernier shut him out last time. Um, <clears throat> but it just did, you know, before, I'm not saying this in hindsight. I said it before the game. I think it was a mistake that, that Varley should have started that game. And, I, you know, I think there could have been a fairly different outcome if he had. Okay. Next scratch pick. Tyson Berry. He hasn't been great for a little while, I think. Yeah, I don't think I don't think whatever was wrong with him as far as his injury, I don't think that I don't think he's playing at one hundred percent. And if he is, his brain's not at a hundred percent when he's on the ice. Yeah, that that seems to be kind of the consensus take is that Barry's not fully healthy, but he is. It's also, I don't know if it's because he. What was his injury? Do it was it? Do, do we know which body half it even was, or like I think it was lower UBI, body. We it? think was it upper? We don't really know. Oh, whatever, whatever it was. I, I think it was. I think it was upper, but it does seem like he has a lower body issue. It seems See, I think like it, I think it's shoulder. Because I think he's sh- he's shying away from contact if you watch him a lot. Okay, that would shoulder would make sense because that would also kind of affect his ability to carry the puck. And he's acting like he is having to make decisions quicker than usual, which would yeah. be because he doesn't trust himself to carry the puck or to take that contact, like you were mentioning. So that leads to him doing things like throwing it into the high slot for the wrong team. Oops. So that's yeah, and I. And I know points, points, kind of keep finding Barry regardless of how he's playing. I know that happens too. But you know that Washington game, and I know it was one game they didn't play with; they played without him. But 
they kind of didn't miss him that game. And I know Washington. Washington Washington was one of their best games of the year. I know. That's what I'm saying. And and I know it's a one game and they came out and they scored immediately in that game. And that, that makes a big difference, but I think it does kind of make you wonder. Okay. So we're looking for one more scratch nominee. Well, yeah. Mark Barbarios, but that's that's kind of like a constant. That's just about a meme at this point. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't think we're ever going to get our way on that one. Um, how about Yakupov? And yeah, I you know, think it's or, hard with Andrigetto or Andrigetto. He has yeah, a great week. Yak Yak choked so bad when he got put up there with Mac and Miko. I mean, that was his golden opportunity to show that he could play 5v5 on a regular shift and you know, he, he lasted half a game there. Andrew Ghetto kind of blew it too, though. Yeah, but not that as bad. That was supposed to be his game. Yeah. And, I mean, you just, I mean, I think last night everyone was over 50% Corsi except for Yak, and he was at 25. I mean, it's just. Which is uh, weird because he's had some good, good possession games when the rest of the team maybe hasn't. Yeah. Um, and I think some of that's usage, but. <clears throat> I just, you know, I, I know the staff have been trying to find sort of a, a Sam Gagne role in Columbus last year for him. And, you know, that's really tough. Um, it's really tough to justify that when you've got guys that are that are trying very hard in all aspects of the game and, and rewarding them with power play time is, is kind of the, you know, the way things go. You know, when you have a guy like Yak that can't really do much other than play on the power play, it's 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 just really tough as a coach uh, to put a guy like that out there for it. And you know, I, I just I don't know what you do with him at this point. If I remember to right, for a conditional fourth. <laughs> if I remember right, he had like six points after two weeks or something like that. He, yeah, he now has ten, so seven goals. So that's something. He has scored a couple big goals lately. Yeah. But when you see somebody whose production is that lopsided in, in favor of goals, you start to feel like that's kind of not going to stick around for long. Even if you are a shoot-first <laughs> player. That seven goals, well, three assist line makes you go, hmm. Well, it's just it, you, that just says that he is good at one thing, and you have to put him in that one situation to get any production out of him. And that's again, that's just very tough for a coach that wants to roll four lines, and in, you know, which you can't really do right now. But even rolling three and mixing in a few guys, it's it's tough to do that. So, well, it's equally <clears throat> as tough when Andrew Ghetto sort of take needs that at the same time. I think he's a little bit more trustworthy on a real line, but it definitely doesn't help when there's two of them that kind of have the same issue right now. And Colin Wilson's also awful, also in this. He's awful, yes, but he's also in the same boat as far as he's tough to use. Real tough to use when he's injured. Yeah, but that's a good thing, actually, for the team. It kind of opens up some some roster places for guys like Dominic Toninato, who I believe they reassigned today, right? Did I see that? Yeah, they did. And in his place, I'm not sure if the team has announced this yet as of the time we're recording, uh, but after practice today, Bednar mentioned calling up someone from the Rampage to provide a spark, and according to the AHL wire, that someone is, oh God, Rocco Grimaldi. Yeah, not my favorite... Not, my Not who I would have picked. <laughs> who, Earl? I just, you know, he's had a shot, you know. Um, Multiple, I, I, plural. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's he, he went to Sweden with the team. He's he spent, you know, he spent enough time in Colorado that they know what they've got with him, and, and there are other guys that they perhaps don't know exactly what they've got. <clears throat> um, you know, if this is this is a one-off thing, now maybe they're, you know, maybe like I, I said jokingly today that they're going to trade him to Buffalo right after the game if he does well, um, and that'd be great. But yes, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just it it seems like 
if if that's a spark, you're going for a spark that's already sparked a couple times this year, and you kind of know whether it's going to spark or not, and it probably won't. Um, and and I guess the thinking is that, that he's going to go on the frat line, and I'm not sure if that's the way to go either. He's replacing a roster spot vacated by Dominic Toninato, who was playing like seven minutes, five minutes, something like less than ten minutes easily. So, I mean, I don't know. If you're doing that, you're putting both Finn and Yak on the fourth line with uh, with whoever else is there. And Wilson. Yeah, Colin Wilson's supposedly going to be the center there. And he's not a center. So that that's a line that you just can't bear to watch. I don't think they'll use it as a line much. I mean, Yak doesn't play regular shifts, and it looks like more that's sort of like in case, you know, in case you want to put somebody different on Carl's line for Nieto or, you know, maybe maybe they don't want to play Rocco every shift with the frat line. You so know? It's, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking and hoping that this is just a, it's a move for you're switching out which guy plays for five or six minutes at even strength, and that's that. Yeah. It, it probably is because Landis Cog's going to come back from his suspension, so... Yeah, it's, um, a, one, it's a one-time deal, I think. Yeah, so... So for one game, you can live with anything, but if they were going to do that, we, we were hoping that maybe they would think of something a little bit more out of the box, like try Nantel for a game. And I know it sounds crazy, but he just had an amazing weekend. And if you were going to pick somebody that's kind of earned it with their play and who they know would play their ass off in a limited role, he would have been the pick. Yeah, and, and Nantel would... You know, I dare say that Nantel's probably a better center than Colin Wilson. Definitely have more experience playing center recently. Um, but, you know, again, it's one game. It's not something to grouse about, really. I mean, it, you know, hopefully it is because somebody wants to look at Rocco. I mean, I, I feel bad for Rocco. He's not going to be, uh, you know, a most of the time NHLer with Colorado this year or in the future for sure. And, you know, if there's a team that wants to use him, and I mean an NHL team that, that wants to use him more in the NHL, uh, you know, I, I'd love to see Rocco get a shot somewhere. Well, I mean, he's, he makes himself one-dimensional, so and that part's right. on him. But, but sure, I could see that what he brings, maybe a, a team would want that, and I'd say, go for it, please take him, <laughs> because... Sometimes even that one dimension is not the greatest in the AHL either. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it's just, you know, I, I look back at, at Patrick's first season when Brad Malone, you know, he didn't want to cut him in camp. So he ended up trading him to Carolina or wherever it was because, you know, he wanted to, he, he wanted to see him get a shot in the NHL. And I, you know, I, I think if the Avs could, they probably, you know, would do that in a second. You know, there are plenty of teams that are struggling right now. You look at Buffalo, obviously, and, you know, Philadelphia can't win a game. And there's plenty of teams that, you know, if there was sort of a cheap, maybe a guy can score type of deal out there, that, you know, they might go ahead and take it. And then with Greer Hurd and maybe Agazino, I thought Agazino, if they were going to give it to a, a vet that maybe deserved a reward, I would have picked Agazino. But, um, our friend Nate reminded me that he did leave the game, I think, after taking a puck to the face, so maybe he wasn't available either. And then Greer hasn't played in a couple weeks, so even if he's good to go, he's just not going to get um, picked without playing. So I guess I can see that the, the options were dwindling, but, but like Earl said, you know, they've kind of already done the Rocco experience, so it's kind of... It's not, um, yeah, it's not quite a spark as they maybe would intend it to be. Maybe they want everyone to think it's a spark. The long-term career arc for, for Rocco, I think, is he could be that, like, AHL lifer if he wants to be, or he could go play in, like, Switzerland or some some league like that um, where, where it's still, you know, pretty high-quality hockey. There's still pretty high high quality, you know, quality of living while you're, while you're doing it. So, I mean, that, if he wants to continue playing hockey, I don't think the NHL is going to 
be there. But in the short term, Bednar definitely said he wants to bring a spark to, uh, I guess, to add a little bit of energy to what's been a pretty lifeless start from the Avalanche. And um, I I guess I was kind of surprised um, in the game against Dallas to, to see how little energy was in the building because... I don't know if, if everyone knows about this or not, but the Colorado Avalanche had easily the the best uh, promo giveaway in the history of Major League Sports last night. Um, <laughs> so how, how the building wasn't full of enthusiastic fans is strange to me. Vlad, maybe you can, can explain to us why that may have not attracted everybody? Well... <laughs> First of all, we're dealing with a we're dealing with a schedule where you have a a hometown that is very much football first. That is reeling. You turn around and expect them, or hopefully expect them to get them in the door by saying, "Hey, gang, we know you're hurting today, but come on down to the Pepsi Center. We have this handy dandy, energy efficient showerhead for you." <laughs> So <laughs> I can't speak for much uh, many people other than myself, but when I see the word free and then I see the following words, showerhead. <laughs> <laughs> that could go one of two ways. And since this is a family show, it's not going to go one way. It's going to go the other way. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get a <laughs> so, chunk of metal to stick in the top of your bathtub. That's right. And and not a good one. A green one. No. No. Hey, green can be good. You're helping the planet. Right. You are helping you are helping the planet. You're helping to conserve energy and that's exactly what many people in the Denver Metro area did. They conserved their energy and they stayed home. <laughs> <laughs> I think this kind of gets back to a good point about we mentioned earlier that the starts haven't been good and I don't think the attendance has been amazing for this homestand now the abs are very much a kind of an opponent or a weekend driven um, sport in Denver and during football season, the weekend is not going to be as popular as it will be in the spring. And the opponents, Winnipeg, New Jersey, and Dallas, the big marquee draws, and not having a very full building, especially at the start of the game, I think doesn't help the team either. This is for the homestand. Uh, out of the out of the four games thus far, there were definitely more people in the building for the game against New Jersey than there were for Winnipeg, than there were for Dallas, and certainly for Calgary, you know, right after Thanksgiving. Yeah, the, and that was the Friday night, and the, the Avs tend to do well on the weekends, and then obviously the big-name opponents, like Pittsburgh, Chicago, etc. So I think that might be a real factor here, actually. Yeah, I mean, Sunday night's always a tough sell. Um you know, I mean, if if the league designates that as your your Sunday game and you have to play at that time slot, then you know you just do what you have to do with it. Now, if uh, if I remember correctly, the last time they had a silly giveaway, um, or maybe it wasn't the last time, but one of the last times they had a silly giveaway, it was some kind of like light bulb thing, and there was you could get a a fancy one. Like if you got lucky, there was like one super fancy one. Did they did they do something like that again? Uh, they did that for the Broncos. I don't remember if the Avs ever done the light bulbs. Maybe that's where I heard it about. <laughs> now, d- during the uh, the doom and gloom of the 48-point nuclear winter, I don't remember seeing anything like that in any of the home games. And I was at every single home game last season. So oh, bless you. if there was any anything that was remotely good of last season, even if it was a showerhead, an energy-saving showerhead at that. That was a giveaway last season. I would have remembered. 
Maybe they should do more giveaways. Maybe those scarves they're advertising on TV. Give them away. I mean, a hat costs like five cents, you know? (laughs) They used to do stuff like this all the time in the the late 90s, early 2000s. They had those giveaways. They did the magnetic schedule. They did the little uh, collectible item of the week or whatever, or month or time of the year it was. They did those things. They wanted to get people to have some sort of trinket or whatever saying, hey, here's your Adam Deadmarsh bobblehead or hey, here's your your Rob Blake uh, back brace. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I remember a necklace for opening night a couple years ago. Let's see if I can find that. Yes, that was uh, opening night uh, during uh, the 13-14 season. It was this little light-up dealie. That, uh, that was neat. It was neat. Seriously, if I can find it, maybe I'll wear it to the game tomorrow. I still have mine. Maybe I tomorrow. Mine the, maybe tomorrow they'll still be giving away shower heads. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I have they a new puck from a, a game at McNichols back in like the second or third season. Yeah, you know, those things get people in the door. I mean, if it. It it could be the difference from just driving around and actually stopping by and, and going to the game. You really think it moves the needle? People would it, buy t- I mean, tickets it, just for some it, It's not going to be like thousands of people, but it, it it's sort of like if you know that occasionally they give away something if you go to games, it's just sort of a, you know, a, a bonus good feeling about having been to a game. It's not- I guess it couldn't hurt. It couldn't hurt. By, by yeah. my eye, it's not about the thing. You're, you're giving away some kind of free thing. It's, you're, if you're giving away thousands of something free, it, how, how good can it be? But the purpose <laughs> is people, people hear about the free fucking thing, and they go, oh, there's a hockey game tonight. <laughs> hey, I caught one of those parachutes the last game I went to. The ones they dropped from the, the rafters. Right. Would like a free t shirt. Really? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Sponsored by some local financial institution. Yes. I actually <laughs> caught one of those parachutes while holding my phone. <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> I know. One handed grab of the parachute. All right, yeah. Jackie. But Jackie and Matt. <laughs> so but so was there any kind of like luck factor involved where you might be able to get something extra special with this one? Uh, what I, what I did here last night was that among the thousands of shower heads that were available for giveaway is that there was one very special shower head that if some lucky uh, attendee was able to find it, that it would give them some sort of, uh, really awesome mystery prize. But since there's so few people that were prizes that... We don't really know if anybody found it or if it's still in a box and nobody found it. But So if you went to the game against Dallas and you got the golden shower head, please let us know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what the mystery prize was. <laughs> I think the mystery prize speaks for itself. <laughs> Enter to win a free suite. <laughs> That's your prize. Showerhead. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> so with any luck, at likely as you listen today's game against Buffalo, they're still handing out energy efficient shower heads, which apparently, um, from from what was Vlad was saying before the show, aren't even the same as the ones in the picture. <laughs> But the picture is really cool. Which is just a picture of a shower head with the word free under it. I have a feeling that picture is going to live on for quite a while. It leads I me know to believe will. that <laughs> some poor communications intern in the bowels of the Pepsi Center was on MS Paint taking a screenshot of a stock photo of a shower head and slapping the word free under it. <laughs> I'm pretty Straight sure that's from what Home happened. Depot's website. <laughs> but more important than updating your website with the people in your organization. 
in right? a timely manner. <laughs> Absolutely. But if, if Johnson, if we have these tower heads to move. <laughs> <laughs> they won't move themselves. <laughs> we have to throw them at people. Heads up. <laughs> but with any luck, that makes if you sense why they were tossing them out into the crowd during those uh, you know TV timeout promotions that they do. Look out in section three sixty four. Here come your energy efficient shower heads. Maybe they could have had a oh, shower head cannon. Maybe they put them on the parachute. Does a shower head cannon count as an assault rifle? <laughs> Bring back Howler the Yeti with a shower head cannon, and boy, you got something now. <laughs> <sighs> That'll get you to pay attention. Maybe, maybe Vegas can uh, offload some of these shower heads. Golden shower giveaway. <laughs> I mean, at least they didn't drop live turkeys out of a helicopter. <laughs> as God is my witness, I swear to fly. I didn't know shower heads couldn't fly. <laughs> what an amazing promotion. <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> so if you, if you go to the game tonight against the Sabres if you're lucky maybe they'll still have some of their thousands upon thousands of shower heads left over and you can you can get you one but uh, there will will be hockey played on ice at some point um, against uh, some familiar names maybe one but it's an extremely familiar name Samus Gurgensons? Yes. <laughs> I'm speaking directly to our Latvian audience. Um, I'm speaking, of course, of Robin Leonard. I was looking at the, the, the stat lines for players on either team, and I was kind of struck by how not different they really are. Um, obviously, McKinnon has more points than anybody else on the Sabres, but both teams have kind of a similar number of guys with 20 points, a similar number of guys with 15 points. I mean, just even all the way down to the goaltending, Robin Leonard has a 9.03 save percentage, and Simeon Varlamov has a... Scroll, please. Scroll over, please. This website kills me. Has a 9.05. Um, backup goaltender. Is that Chad Johnson? Yes, Chad Johnson has an Chad. 8.83. And... John Bernier has an 891. Like, I mean, as much as we're laughing at how bad Buffalo is, and they have lost like nine of their last ten, and one of those was in overtime. But the there's not a tremendous amount of space between these two teams here, apart from some results. Well, there is yeah. one difference. The Avalanche don't have a sulky caliber candidate who is minus nineteen. Oh! Yeah, there's one difference. The Sabres have one, two, three, four guys who are worse than minus ten, which tells you how bad their goal differential is. <laughs> Sounds like a, but, a leaky defense. Maybe but that, self, but that selfie defense, though. <clears throat> well, it's not stopping the puck from going in the net. And but, correct me if I'm wrong, but that minus 19 is the worst on the team. I've got it open right now. I can definitely correct you if you're wrong. You are not wrong. I, again, you're right. And it's right by how many? Four. Five. Five goals. Yeah. Well, wasn't Tyson Berry the worst no, on the Avs last year? He may Tied be the with worst Duchesne. on the Avs this year. No, yeah. Andrew Ghetto is this year. But... um. You can probably expect some former Buffalo properties to have a chip on their shoulder tonight. I would certainly hope so. Guys like Zadorov and, and uh, Comfer and, uh, you know, those people. And then maybe Ryan O'Reilly having his own fire to probably score a hat trick to make the Sabres win 3-2. to two. Well, just, I, I, you know, I, I don't think they will, but I just... You know, I think as fans, we take this game lightly, and you shouldn't, <clears throat> just because, you know, playing Buffalo is like playing with a bomb. You know, that bomb can explode at any time, and you're not sure when. And if oh, you... 
you, oh, know, I you, you know. yeah, you just you, you don't want to. I I I'd really like to see them come out with more energy than they have for the past three games. And it's you know it's it's tough to get up for a game like this, a bad team from a conference that doesn't matter, and um you know <clears throat> this is a great opportunity to just get two points and move on with your lackluster homestand. Um, I, I think they know they have to win this game. I don't think they're going to take it lightly. I think they know that they need need to get a win before they go out on a really tough road trip. And I don't think they'll take them lightly. I think that they think they can win the game, but they're going to have to put in a good effort for it. Like, I know we can laugh about how bad Buffalo is, but it's still the NHL, and these teams still win on occasion. Yeah. And... Just like Arizona, they they couldn't put anything together to get a win, and now they've they've had a pretty decent couple of weeks, so they can turn around at any time. So, yeah, I mean, if people want to laugh about Buffalo, and you know, I I don't particularly care for them, but they absolutely could win this game, and they they've beaten us recently. I remember. I remember watching some morning game, I think it was two years ago, one that the Avs definitely should have won, and they they went into that game and they looked horrible, and they lost that game. So it's certainly possible. Right, that was yeah, I mean, uh, that... back-to-back with uh, Detroit and uh, Buffalo. That was two years ago. That's some memory. Nice memory, Vlad. I say that because I was in Detroit for the, uh, the Avs shootout win in, in Detroit that year. Uh, in Buffalo the next day. <clears throat> so yeah, that game is on Tuesday, likely today as you listen to the show, maybe tomorrow if you catch it early. It's at 7 o'clock Eastern, and then the Avs do my favorite thing in the world, which is tour the Eastern Conference and play earlier in the day. They're on Tampa on Thursday, which is a 5.30 mountain start against the Lightning, who are outstanding this year. And then on Saturday, they head to Sunrise, which is a 5 o'clock mountain start versus the Florida Panthers. <laughs> They'll close the trip out next week with a back-to-back in Pittsburgh and Washington. Uh, Buffalo at Tampa, at Florida. Predict me points. Four. I'll go two. And I think they're going to beat the Lightning because, of course. Because that's, that's pretty contrarian. <laughs> well, they, they yeah. beat the Jets, who are tied in points with the Lightning, with 38. Yeah. yeah. I, they always I guess... seem... Yeah, play better against the better teams. That that's that's solid. They always seem to have trouble in Florida, and for whatever reason, they have played the Lightning well the last few years. And everybody has trouble in Florida. And um, in a way, I almost see the Buffalo game as kind of the swing game. I definitely think they can win it. Um, I think if they put out a good effort, I think if they score early, they could win it. It's just, um, yeah. The longer the five v five drought continues, the the you know it, it's it's frustration building as as time goes on in the game. And you know, at some yeah, point, just... we're going to have to talk about the goaltending too. Our goaltending? Oh yeah. <laughs> but I, as long I, as they I, play the right guy, I think they might win. I don't know. <laughs> between them, they have a save percentage that I think is under nine hundred. Yeah, but take out two bad games for Varley, and he's actually decent. I wish the I'd team like could to just see... do that from their standings. I'd like yeah. to see Varley play some, like get on a roll and play a bunch of games and then really look at where he's at. It just seems like with his illness and going back and forth, I just, I, I don't feel like he's lost them that many games. I don't know. I just, I feel like they're in an okay place with him right now. I just, you know, I, w- I want to see him play like a number one. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I, I don't see how you, you take a divisional game <clears throat> at home on a homestand where you're not really doing well at all and play your backup just for shits and giggles. Yeah, it's pretty bizarre um, usage, but this is ultimately a conversation for, for another time and probably an in-depth article on uh, on your favorite Avs fan site. Um, I think the four points from the obvious teams to beat are probably going to happen this week. I think they'll be 
bizarrely predictable. I think Buffalo That'd will be, be nice. a little bit a uh, little bit tighter than we would like. Um, and I, I honestly, I agree that they may play Tampa very well, but ultimately you've got the top scoring tandem in the NHL to contend with, with, uh, Stamkos and, and not Stamkos. There's so many strange names on that team. I forgot. Is it Kucherov? Is that the other one of the tandem? Yes. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Those guys are really good. Maybe that's the sinuses that are destroying my brain, but I think that'll be a closer game than a lot of people would expect based on the standings (coughs) as well. They'll lose to Buffalo and the despair will begin. And then they'll be (laughs) lightning. It'll be like, here's the cliff and we're done. And that's exactly what they did last year. And then they'll go out and beat the lightning. Now they'll they'll have a response game against Buffalo. And then they'll struggle with with Tampa because Tampa's outstanding. And then they'll play uh, Florida, who've given up 88 goals already this year. And go put a few on them. All right, here's a question. I, I own both Panther and Lightning jerseys. If I wear them or not wear them, which which is the better luck for the Avalanche? Florida reverse I, jinx. What's that? Florida for the reverse jinx. Yeah. I, I think Tampa the, oh. for the wor- reverse jinx. Wear both. Yeah. Do them both. Okay. Well, well, we'll have to check in next week to see what, what kind of input your wardrobe decision had on the results of a hockey team. <laughs> you know, in the, in the meantime, while we wait on that, you can always catch the latest abs news and updates at Burgundy Rainbow, and you can keep up with the show on uh, SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Burgundy Rainbow. Sound, sound is cold. Shit, dude. SoundCloud.com slash Burgundy Radio. And on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com slash radio on iTunes, on your favorite podcatcher, whatever that might be. Um, and then we always post on the site so you can yell at us there. Or you can yell at us in the Discord. I'm there pretty much every day. Um, other than that, we should be back to a normal day is released next week. We should be back to a Sunday record, Monday morning drop. And we will see you then. I figured that the game was somewhat sparsely attended last night so that they probably have enough for another showerhead night. Yeah. Get hosed <laughs> with the avalanche. <laughs> <laughs> the fans got showerheads and they got douched. Yep. Victory. All traces of it were rinsed away last night. <laughs>